1: Welcome to a new episode of Land, Grant, Holy Land, In Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I am in conversation with an Ohio State legend and one of the absolute best college football analysts working today, Joshua Perry. Since we are now finally officially in game week, I thought that there was no one better to bring in for the first of two in conversation episodes before Thursday's Minnesota game than one of the brightest analysts over at the Big Ten Network in Joshua. Last week, Joshua and former Ohio State teammate Evan Spencer launched a new podcast called Glory Days, Dreams and Nightmares that looks back at the unforgettable 2014 National Championship season for Ohio State. They go inside the unique ups and downs of that season to give a perspective that only players who actually lived through it can provide. We will have a link to the podcast's website in our show notes, and you can find the podcast anywhere you get your favorite audio entertainment, especially over at Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. In addition, Joshua gives his thoughts on the newly announced Big Ten Pac-12 ACC alliance, uh, the Big Ten pecking order in 2021, and spoiler alert, he is much higher on OSU's season opening opponent, the Minnesota Golden Gophers, than most other analysts are, and he talks about what he expects from the Buckeyes this season with a lot of changes on both the offense and defense. So with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with Joshua Perry. All right, Joshua, you are getting ready to launch this new podcast, which seems like the perfect thing for Ohio State fans to relive one of the most incredible seasons uh, in recent memory. Um, You and Evan Spencer, um, as well as uh, the moderator, Chris Caldwell, are getting ready to drop Glory Days, Dreams and Nightmares What is it? I mean, I think we know the kind of the log line. It's about the 2014 national championship season, but what makes this podcast uh, and this telling of that year's story special?
0: Well, first off, just in terms of the idea of the podcast in general, uh, I'm not exactly sure enough of these sports stories have been told in this long form podcasting format. And so for us, it was really cool to sit down and do the research and, jog our memories and really hash out our first-person account of how the season went. Now, in terms of our story, it's exactly what I just said. It's me and Evan's perspective on the 2014 season. There's obviously a little bit of background, starting with Evan's recruitment and then into that kind of touch on 2011, but 2012 and 2013, and then into 2014. And we just share really the ups and downs, if if you will, the dreams and nightmares that we had Uh, from that season, and it's a phenomenal story because of how much it ebbs and flows. When you talk about the loss of two quarterbacks in an early season loss for a team that had high expectations, Uh, we had a tragic loss of life in the form of a suicide of one of our teammates, which uh, we kind of share the story on. But there's also some of those really high points when you look at how the team was able to come together after that first loss, when you look at the run to the Big Ten championship game and then the college football playoff and some of the personalities that emerged and just this feeling of a triumphant group of men who are purpose driven all for the same reason. It's phenomenal. I think it's something obviously Ohio State fans are going to love, but it's a college football story that if you just enjoy the sport, you're going to be into as well.
1: You said that you had to do some, some research, which is funny because, like you said, you guys were there. You were part of that team. As you were looking back on some of these things, how much had you forgotten? Were there things that maybe you didn't even know to begin with um, that as you were doing that research and kind of talking to folks about things that you were like, oh my God, I didn't even realize that was happening while I was a part of it actually going on? Yeah, it's, it's the game notes type of stuff, man. Like you forget
0: sometimes... Um, who maybe wasn't the leading stat producer in a certain category that really had the game. Like they were the reason why the game went the way that it did. Um, it's the, the trying to think of a really good way to contextualize it. Like just the, the type of stuff that happens, for example, the rankings, like you think about the initial college football ranking show and most of the time you don't remember who was one through four. Yeah. In that initial ranking or who rounded out the top 10. And it's that kind of stuff that really provides the context of the story and, and gives you something to really dig into. And it brings back that emotion as well. And for us, we were counted out. We were, you know, somewhere down in uh, the 20s after we lost to Virginia Tech. And I think we're in the mid teens somewhere by the time the CFP rankings actually came out. Um, and so it just really kind of adds to some of the memories you already have. It just brings that context in. And it was a, a fun exercise for Evan and I. Uh, just because of all this stuff we started remembering and the, the memories we were able to share.
1: What were some of those memories that you look back on and you think these are kind of some of the moments, whether it's off-field or on-field or, or even completely away from football, that you look back and say, oh, this is the type of thing that made this team special? Yeah, I don't
0: want to give too much away, but um, the way that we kind of regrouped after the Virginia Tech loss is really unique. And I think people are going to appreciate that because I think it's really relatable way that we were able to come together. There's also, uh, we, we pay homage to some of the campus bars there on High Street. There's this <laughs> phrase, uh, sheets or streets, that was used quite frequently uh, among the guys. And it was basically our way of acknowledging whether we were going to go out after a game or whether we were going to stay in the house. Um, It's just those things right there that we can all sit back and laugh about. (laughs) But I think it embodies the the overall college experience for a lot of people. But just also, like, if we were moving, we were all kind of going to be in the same direction. We were going to be at the same bars hanging out. We were going to be at the same spots on campus. Um, And that's how you really grow a team. It's not necessarily what goes down in the Witt Hayes Athletic Center. It's about everything else that brings people together.
1: And, As you've kind of been going through this, and again, we don't want you to give away too much of what you talk about uh, in the episodes, was there a theme in that season that you think applies not only to that championship team, but championship teams in general through the hardships that the team went through on and off the field and um, and, and all of the recoveries that you had to go through, did you kind of pinpoint anything that can be taken away from college football fans, whether they're Buckeye fans or not, and just say these are the qualities that a championship-level team needs to have?
0: Yeah, I think it really comes down to two things. Number one, you, you embrace adversity. You don't run from it. So when things start going haywire, when you're not getting the outcomes that you, you would desire – you embrace that. You figure out what is the reason why we're not getting to where we want to be? Uh, what are some ways that we can overcome some of the issues that we're facing? And I think that was big for our team. The other thing is this concept, and Urban spoken ad nauseum about it, of the brotherhood of trust and what it really means to be a servant leader and what it means to be selfless and what it means to band together with people who maybe you don't always have Um, common ground with, or somebody who maybe you don't necessarily believe in the same things, but ultimately you have to work together for the same cause to achieve the same goal. And I think that's really special. And, And you could probably look through all the teams who have won championships and they're a talented group of people, first and foremost, that are led by some talented, very smart people, but ultimately they'll embrace the adversity that they come along and they band together to achieve their
1: goals. We've heard so much, like you said, about that brotherhood of trust over the years, and that phrase, next man up, is always something that comes up, especially with this team. But be honest, how how was the team's vibe after Braxton went down, then after JT went down? Obviously, you believe in your guys, but like... What was the emotions? You're like, oh, we're losing an all-Big Ten quarterback in Braxton, and then JT leads you for most of the season, and oh, now we're losing him. What were the emotions, and how did you guys bounce back from those after kind of getting over that initial shock of those injuries?
0: Yeah, I mean, the the, the Braxton one, it was an OS moment. Like It happens in practice, (laughs) and you could hear a pin drop on the field just from the reaction. I think all of our minds went to – and here's this guy who had been rehabbing all offseason to get back on the field. And it's happened to him again. And we were just, we felt for him, but then reality also sets in and you start having the conversations with leaders of the team, people on the field. And you're like, Oh my gosh, man, like this guy is a big reason why we won a lot of games. Yeah. You know, where do we go? Uh, with JT, I think it was such a different scenario because we were already battle tested having lost the quarterback And we were in the middle of a rivalry game. And so we're like, all right, well, we don't have much time to think about this. Like, let's let's close out this game and then we'll figure out where we're going to go from here. Uh, But I I think the true difference in that one, too, is we got to watch Cardale over the course of the season. And so we knew that Cardale had something to offer us as a team. And so we were excited about being able to watch him go out there and have his success.
1: And, and what success he had, not only finishing out the rivalry game, but going into the Big Ten championship game. I, I don't know if even in, in my memory that there was a game where I had expectations, but I didn't really know how to temper them. Like, I didn't know what to expect from a game. And then that, that, or that Big Ten championship game against Wisconsin, just, I mean, I couldn't have dreamed in my wildest dreams of having a game happen like that. Um, from afar, for you guys going into that game, was that outcome what you expected? Or is it just always the machismo of going into a a big game like that, you're thinking the best? Or did that even surprise you guys as part of the team at how big of a win that was against the Badgers?
0: No, I mean, for us, it was, you know, the mentality is first and foremost from a defensive player, like make your plays. Yeah. So as a defense, (laughs) we kind of understood – OK, we got to go out here. Obviously, quarterback is going to be a question like, let's make this as easy as possible. Um, but also, we knew that Cardell had a rocket for an arm and we knew that we had Devin Smith, who was like the fastest guy in the Big Ten. And so we're like, OK, this could be a situation where we end up scoring some points. We've got a really good running back who is like peaking at the perfect time in the season. I don't think anybody had expectations of the type of performance we ended up having. Yeah. You know, that was one of those all-time performances. We'll talk about that for ages. Uh, but just from a standpoint of, do we think we could pull off the Big Ten championship? Sure. Yes. The question of the style points and everything else it was going to, you know, it was going to take to get into the playoff, that was a little bit of a different conversation. Ultimately, we were confident. We just knew that we had to go out there and actually execute
1: it. Yeah, I mean, when you say the defense was just looking to make plays, that was mission accomplished, number one. And and like you said, uh, yeah. Cardale found a way to do it on offense as well. And, of course, the rest is history. Um, one last question on, on the podcast before we move over to some 2021 football stuff. Um, I know in some of the uh, conversations that have been teased a little bit, um, there's a quote, and I don't know if it was from you or from somebody else, but talking about the fact that Urban Meyer might be the worst driver in the history of the world. What, what, what is that all about? Yeah, that was me. So,
0: um, <laughs> myself and Craig Sater, who was a walk-on linebacker.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, one of my guys, when we were at Ohio state, we're walking through the facility after work one day and urban pulls us aside and he's like, Hey, um, one of the guys with athletes in action, his name was uh, Jim Schmicky. He's like, he wants me to come to Kosci and check out this documentary about Jerusalem and you know, some religious history and he's like it'd be awesome if you guys came along me and urban or me and craig looked at each other we're like all right well we don't have anything else to do so we went along with him urban's like i got it i'll drive we're like cool so we hopped in the car with this guy and he's speeding down olentangy river road you know he's running through yellows <laughs> you know stop signs are virtually non-existent to him there was one point where we're down there uh, anybody's familiar with Columbus and you know where Kosai is, it's like side of a mile or whatever, some uh, one-way streets. And he's going the wrong way down one ways. And so we get there, we do our thing. We're coming back. It's a similar story. Like he's going super fast on an off ramp at one point. So I look at him I'm like coach, you ever get pulled over when you drive? He's like, yep, yep. Happens to me. Uh, I'm like, so how does that typically go? And he's like, well, uh, usually they'll pull me over. And they'll ask you for my license, and they'll be like, oh, man, Urban Meyer. And I'll be like, yep. And he's he said the cop will be like, man, you had a great season last year. Really appreciate what you did. And he's like, I'll be like, thanks. <laughs> and then the officer will be like, hey, coach, can you get an autograph or can I take a picture or whatever they want? And coach is like, sure. And then they just let him go, and that's that. Oh, and I'm like, boy, that doesn't help any of the bad driving habits. So uh, <laughs> he's, he is an elite coach, one of the best to ever do it. Would not classify him as an elite driver.
1: So we are actually, while we're recording, I guess right now, um, on your uh, your employer, the Big Ten Network, they are airing the press conference talking about the Big Ten, Pac-12, and ACC Alliance, I guess is what we're calling it. We don't have all of the details yet, and I think some of the, the scheduling details are still to be figured out down the road anyway. Um, but just nuts and bolts from what you've heard so far, what are your thoughts on these three conferences uh, teaming up in some form or fashion, whether that's just for governance or for scheduling in the future or anything else that they can do to help each other on their shared values and visions.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the governance aspect definitely helps. And some eyes were open to the 12 team conversation, uh, the playoff conversation that was going on, and Sankey uh, kind of leading the charge on that. And then all of a sudden, the SEC is expanding, and you're like, man, what the hell is going on? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think from that aspect, it gives some power back to some of these other conferences to be able to kind of throw their lips around. And maybe, um, you know, some of the TV partners are in on this, but there's a conversation about media rights for an expanded playoff or whatever it comes down to in terms of compliance and governance and all that kind of stuff. I'm definitely here for it. The interesting thing to me becomes uh, scheduling. And I, I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the big thing because that goes along with TV and making sure that the conferences can stay relevant, which helps in recruiting and everything else that goes on. Um, and I think it's an ulti- it's, it's a positive thing. And it's a really unique perspective because you can say that Notre is low key tied into an alliance with the PAC 12, the big 10 and the ACC anyway, where they play largely in ACC schedule this year, they've got two big 10 opponents. They usually have somebody out West the Stanford USC type situation. Um, and so You've got these conferences now where you can make those games, you can cater it, so you can have made-for-TV productions. With At the end of the day, ball games are TV shows, so that definitely helps. Now, what the most interesting thing would be if they wanted to get aggressive and say, for example, don't schedule games with the SEC. Um, and I don't know how much that hurts the SEC, but I think it sends a message to how they want to play ball. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Would be very interesting if it did, um, and I'll end off with this. Just in terms of an alliance, the beauty in something like this is you have the benefits of conference expansion without necessarily snuffing out conferences and, and killing some of the smaller teams, which is a good thing,
1: um,
0: and also without the the encumbrances of having to travel and schedule non-revenue sports and as you look at some of the big 10 schools where wrestling is big when you look out west all they want to do is some of the olympic sports and they do a great job at it when you expand conferences now you got to say okay ohio state's got a, a swim meet against stanford on a tuesday and that becomes troubling for the athletes in terms of their schedules but also uh from a financial standpoint of having to pay for that travel and everything else So I think you get the best of both worlds where you can get some really good football and basketball games while also keeping your non-revenue intact and not having to stress about that. Um, I'm a fan.
1: Yeah, this seems like uh, after these conferences were kind of seem, seemingly shocked by the changes uh, with the SEC, with adding Texas and Oklahoma, this seems like, to me, at least from what we know so far, the the best possible outcome um, for how they could have moved forward with this. So I'm very excited. But as you mentioned, one of the big things that is, is you know going to be a part of this is the scheduling, especially with football. We know that football schedules, especially the non-conference, are made – in a lot of cases, more than a decade in advance. What do you think is the best way that these conferences and the schools can deal with that while still trying to incorporate the Alliance scheduling? Do you think it has to do with them going back to some of the teams that they've already had contracts with and backing out? Or do you think that there might be a point for the Big Ten to say, you know what, if everybody else is on board, we'll go back to eight conference games open up that that fourth non-conference game and schedule it between these conferences what do you think is the best option to try to incorporate these three conferences together working uh to 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 add some of those non-conference games into their schedules
0: yeah here's the tough part right um so i was thinking about this and do you end up going if they played division games only so what would that be you end up playing six games in the division You add one crossover game, maybe two that gets you to eight games. You got four games left. Um, Do you want to play the eight conference games and then deal with the four? Do you just want to have the one crossover and play seven conference games and then try to figure it out from there? I don't know what the best thing is. If it was me, I would try to get – I would try to get whether it was two with the Pac-12 and one with the ACC or vice versa – i try to get three of those games on the schedule. I think wow. it works for everybody. I think that's a way to maximize the money. It's aggressive, and especially if you're talking about playoff expansion, you know, if you're one of the top teams, you can stand to lose a game or two, and you still probably make it into the show and be able to prove it at the end of the year. So, um, now, the way that affects some of the um, group of five schools, that, that becomes a difficult part, and I, I would really hate to um, damage the opportunity for those athletes as well, but you know, when you're talking about some of the uh, some of the boy ball and some of the money being thrown around, you got to make decisions that are best for the conference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let, real quick before we uh, we wrap up, I do want to talk about this year's uh, Ohio State team and the Big Ten, since you are um, one of the the absolute best at at analyzing the Buckeyes and the conference as a whole. There's a lot of questions about Ohio State's team. We are starting to get some of them throughout camp. We obviously now know that C.J. Stroud is going to be the starting quarterback, at least for the Minnesota game. Um, Going from somebody like Justin Fields, who had two years um, uh, of a lot of success in Columbus, to a guy who's never thrown a pass in college, what are your expectations for C.J. Stroud? And I guess if he's not officially the starter for the whole season, for the quarterback room in general for Ohio State uh, coming into the 2021
0: season? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting year because I, I think there are going to be some growing pains at that position, and they're going to be battle-tested early on where I think Minnesota is going to be a better team than most people probably believe nationally, and you've got a uh, a real, legit contender in oregon Mm -hmm. um that you're going to play in the second game and so you have to learn quickly and you have to have a short memory if you're cj stroud or one of the other young quarterbacks who don't have a ton of experience um the way i think it ends up going is you probably want to make sure that you get that run game started early get the quarterback confident throw some of those quick passes get him in rhythm uh but then ultimately you lean on the wide receivers to do what they do best you got chris olave uh, you've got Garrett Wilson, you've got a Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. is one of the young guys. Like you've got a, a just a roster of receivers that can make plays all over the field. And I really think that you lean on them to make the quarterback shine. So if that means you have to scheme up some routes where so you know, those cats are going to be able to hit it big. That's what you do. If you just let them naturally get open again, that's what you do. But to me, I, I would, It's one of those situations where they probably need to turn off Twitter and they don't read the the newspaper because people have expectations that Ohio State is going to be perfect right away early on. You know, the the success is going to continue, which it will, um, but it's probably not going to look pretty at times and those guys have to be comfortable with that.
1: You, you mentioned the fact that, especially early in the season, that the Buckeyes might want to lean on uh, the running backs, and they've got a very interesting stable of guys uh, there. But Minnesota, especially in that first game, had a really rough time stopping the run last season, one of the worst not only in the conference but in the country. We've heard a lot coming out of, of camp over at the Woody between Master Teague and, and Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson. Do you have any thoughts on who you think is or should be the leader uh, coming out of the running back room? I'm assuming they'll use all of them and probably more throughout the uh, the course of the season. But do you think that there's a best style of back that would help the Buckeyes offense, especially with a young quarterback, whomever that might be? No, I mean,
0: I think they're all good. You give the veteran the first shot at it because he hasn't done anything to show that he doesn't deserve the reps, mm-hmm. um, and then you start rotating the guys in through there. I think Mayan Williams is really, really good. Uh, like I watched him when he was doing uh, when he was playing high school, and I was covering high school football for a year. And he jumped off the tape. He was playing actually my own Tangi Braves in a uh, playoff game, and must oh, cool. have had like 500 yards rushing. Um, <laughs> that was my first introduction to that cat. Um, And then, like you said, you've got Travion, who's young. You've got Pryor, who's young. Like Those guys will get a shot at it. And so I say give the vet guy his reps first, rotate them through, and then whoever is hot, ride the hot hand. There's there's nothing that says that the game plan can't be one guy one week and one guy the next week because those are the guys who are playing the best at the time. Um, I do think, though, that Minnesota will be better in the run game. And I think they've got some bodies up front that are – just really good athletes and they played a ton of young guys. I think they had like nine freshmen at one point on the field last year that shouldn't have been on the field. Um, So they've got some experience. they will be battle tested. So this will be, this will be a really good all around game. I think just from the standpoint of Minnesota should be better defensively. So Ohio state will get a challenge and they'll have to um, do some different things to, you know, have some success, which is good to figure out early on. And then offensively for Minnesota, I know they're maybe lacking a little bit at the wide receiver, and Chris Ottman bell is uh, day-to-day right now. But Morgan was the second-best quarterback in the conference in 2019, Mm -hmm. and they've got Mo Ibrahim, who is the returning Big Ten running back of the year, and uh, something ridiculous like, you know, 300 starts on their offensive line. I'm exaggerating. But, I mean, they've got a lot of guys who played a lot of ball. Um, So this will be a good matchup.
1: Well, you mentioned the fact that Minnesota will presumably be better on defense than they were last year. Let's move it over to that side of the ball, your side of the ball um, for the Buckeyes. One of, if not the the most obvious glaring issue that the Buckeyes had in 2020 was their pass defense. They have kind of re-upped not only changing the scheme uh, a, a little bit, but also bringing in a ton of young talent in the back part of the defense. Actually, the middle in the back from the linebackers backwards. Um, what are your thoughts on how those changes, both in terms of scheme and personnel, uh, can impact the Buckeyes' defense throughout this season?
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't think personnel is ever a big issue with Ohio State, and I, I think yeah. they like the guys that they have. Um, in the back end, they're talking about a, a six-man rotation where they feel like they've got guys who can go and they want to put them in different positions to see maybe where they play best-in-game scenarios. I don't have an issue with that. I think linebacker is definitely young, but the athlete there is just phenomenal. I mean, they've got a bunch of guys who I feel like are D1 linebackers that they can roll out there. Um, I'm confident in that position. I think it's going to come down to a defensive rhythm um, and play calling. And last year, I think Kerry Combs was really trying to figure out exactly – what the defense is going to be. But when you don't have a spring practice and your training camp isn't what it usually is, then your first year coordinator becomes really tough. And so I think this time that they've had to get together definitely helps. Um, I think they're going to be able to get a little bit, not necessarily more complicated, but maybe add some new concepts and a little bit more disguise in the back end than what they were able to show last year. So they can't get picked on as much, which is phenomenal. Um, And overall is poor as they were at times last year I think they'll be able to upgrade it pretty easily and in this game of college football today you got to be able to get timely stops it doesn't necessarily mean you get stops all the time but you need to get them when it's important
1: yeah and one of the areas that Ohio State had a lot of success last year was on the Uh, on the front of their defense with their defensive line. There has been a little bit of turnover with guys uh, going to the NFL, but they have, again, like you said, personnel is never an issue. It's just kind of keep reloading. How important for a defense, especially in the passing game, is it – to have guys that can not only get pressure like Ohio State did last year, but can actually get to the quarterback, which seemed to be a little bit of an issue. They weren't able to actually always get home last season. But with that defensive line led by Haskell Garrett and this abundance of defensive uh, defensive ends, how important is that to help the totality of the defense, especially uh, where they struggled last year in 2020?
0: Yeah, it's one of the things I've been harping on lately with uh, this defense is a lot of people – will put the blame on the secondary for last year. And obviously, we had to take their lumps because at times it wasn't very pretty. But you can also make an argument that when you don't have a Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young player out there, uh, it becomes a little bit easier for offenses to get the ball down the field and to make some plays on the secondary. And I think it is going to be key for this defensive line to cause havoc. And the pressures are important because it gets the quarterback off schedule and it gets him worried about the rush. More so than reading the secondary and finding where the open guy is. But it's also important to actually hit the quarterback, get the quarterback on the ground, because now you're creating different down and distance situations, which makes it tougher on the play callers. Now, the quarterback, you know, it's a little bit different once you start getting hit, um, you know, the way that these guys operate and, and just different things there. So, you know, like you said, Haskell Garrett, rush from the inside, I think is going to be key. Another guy, Zach Harrison, who we've all been waiting for, a uh, Central mm-hmm. Ohio guy who I think is going to have a breakout year, need to absolutely see it out of him. I think that's what everybody expects right now, but that is going to make a world of difference. They say rush and cover work together. It's 100% true. When you have a D-line that can make a
1: quarterback
0: focused on everything outside of the passing game when he's throwing the ball, that's when your secondary can really shine.
1: All right, Joshua, I will wrap this up and let you go with one last question. Uh, I don't know if you have or you're going to make official uh, BTN predictions on anything, um, but I'll, I'll stick with just Big Ten stuff since the uh, the, the playoff uh, is still a ways away and has a lot of other factors to factor in. But in terms of the Big Ten race, who do you see in that um, Big Ten championship game in Indianapolis in December, and who do you see uh, eventually taking home the title uh, after that game is played
0: yeah so the west is going to be interesting because um i think wisconsin's a good team i think Iowa's a good team they've got some youth that they're trying to work through and i think Minnesota's going to be a lot better than people are anticipating um out of that group i'm going to go a little bit off the board though and i will pick okay. minnesota for oh, some wow. reason i'm just super high on them. uh you might get a rematch of week one in the big 10 championship game because on the other side it's ohio state all the way and I just don't think there's a team in the East that can match them: speed for speed, uh, power for power, um, and coaching staff as well. So those are my predictions there. I'm going with Minnesota, which may be dumb at the end of the year, and Ohio State, which I know is a, a smart choice.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you, I mean, do you think that Ohio State gets into that game unscathed, or do you do Because you, I know you said you thought there'd be some bumps and bruises along the way. Do you do you think they drop one and still make it in at some point?
0: I don't think they drop one. I just think no. some of the games might be a little bit ugly. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, which we've seen before. That's not, un, uh, that's not to be unexpected with Buckeyes. Well, uh, Joshua, thank you so much. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. You have turned into absolutely one of the, the best analysts in college football, and we could not be more proud, uh, to have watched you, uh, grow this far and very excited to see everything that happens in the future. And I will absolutely be tuning in to, uh, uh, to the podcast uh, as every week as you drop uh, on Wednesdays uh, for the uh, for the next few weeks and months
0: definitely appreciate it
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land In Conversation. Also, thank you, of course, to the incredible Joshua Perry. I will have links to his Twitter account, RIP underscore JEP, and to the podcast Glory Days, Dreams, and Nightmares in the show notes and the article version on landgrantholyland.com. If you are finding this episode on the aforementioned website, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now that the season is here, we are cranking out one and in some cases two episodes every single day, and they all have unique perspectives and voices that you won't hear anywhere else in the Buckeye Podcasting universe. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at Land Grant33, and you can find me at Matt. Thanks for listening, we'll talk to you soon, and as always, Go Bucks.